Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 91, which begins with Max in the black on black driving away from the wrecked ute, and it ends with cast credits. We have reached pretty much the official end of the movie. These are the last parting shots that we're going to spend with Max, and then we're going to send, spend the next couple of days just watching credits, talking about the movie, things like that. Yeah, it's hard to believe that we've reached the end of the movie. Yeah, it is. It's been <laughs> quite a journey. Absolutely. But before we can full-on reminisce, like I said, we start off with Max in the black on black. He has just left Johnny behind. We can still hear a couple of parting notes from Johnny before Max pretty much just drives away, not even looking back. He hops in the car, drives across that little bridge. We get another one of those close-up shots of them just shaking the car. And then as he kind of rounds the corner and starts going up the hill, the score is being all dramatic and whatnot. And then at just the right point in the soundtrack, boom, a big fiery explosion as the ute just goes up and just gets obliterated. Yeah, it's an amazing explosion. How does it? Which I understand they had one shot to do it and it came out perfect the first time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, they had their pyrotechnics guy on on the job and he nailed it. Absolutely. Yep. So as as Max is driving away, I'm kind of watching the terrain and watching where the flame is coming from and kind of judging on if that was an accurate spot based on what we know of the landscape and where the ute went off the road and into the the gully. And I have to say, I I think the fireball was in the perfect spot. Yeah. Of course, because, probably because the ute was really down there in the gully below the road. Yeah. And I really love the spot that they picked because it just, it's picturesque enough and everything kind of slopes into that focal point, especially beyond the, the wrecked guardrail, that it just creates this really pretty picture yeah. <laughs> of destruction. <laughs> As Max is leaving that chapter of his life behind. And, and I love that he doesn't turn back. Yeah. He doesn't actually care if the truck blows up. I don't think he cares if Johnny is still attached to it when it does. Mm -hmm. Or if he's already dead. Or if he managed to cut off his foot and get far enough away. He doesn't care. Yeah, I think the important thing for Max is that he got his revenge for Goose. Like, he found the guy. He made the guy pay somehow. Yeah. Because even if the ute doesn't blow up, Johnny's still handcuffed to the bottom of a truck and he's going to be trapped there for goodness knows how long. Right. Do you think he was after more of a psychological vengeance than a physical vengeance? Because it really does seem like he didn't care whether or not Johnny actually died. He made his best effort to set it up so that he would die. Mm -hmm. um, and he mentally tortured him along the way. But then he didn't make sure that his plan came to fruition. Yeah. I would like to think that Max was able to look at Johnny and really recognize how much of a toady he is, mm -hmm. how much of 
his actions wasn't necessarily 100% what he wanted to do. And so just being satisfied with leaving Johnny in that situation, totally feasible to me. Mm -hmm. That that was enough for Max. And Max has already killed the two men in charge of Johnny the Boy's gang. Yeah, he cut the head off. Yes. And so he's already punished Johnny quite a bit. Johnny is now out in the world all by himself. He doesn't have the skills or even the faculties to survive. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first time, assuming, the first time that he, you know, found a dead body on the side of the road and was like, hey, I need new boots. He got caught. So he he doesn't have the abilities to take care of himself, which is probably why he joined a gang. Mm. But now he has no gang, thanks to Max. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I think of the end of this movie and the way it ends, specifically, with that close up on Max... Just thousand yard stare, stone face, and then they fade to just that running shot of the road ahead as the camera is hovering just above, you know, the level of where a driver would be. Yes. And that's just the shot that we end with because for all intents and purposes, Max has nothing left. Like, yes, he could go back to the MFP, but at the same time, why would he want to go back to that life? He's become so disillusioned with the idea of by the book's justice and... Going back to that occupation would do nothing but remind him of the life that he had before Goose and Jesse and Sprague died. Yeah, the law-abiding, providing for your family, husband and father and best friend, that's all gone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, he, he wants to start a new life. And he seems to want to, like, revel in his misery. Mm -hmm. Just kind of go and wallow in it. Yes. And, I mean, the open road shot, of course, it's the prelude to every other movie. Right. That he just goes out into the wasteland and he's just going to deal with whatever comes his way. And that's exactly what the other movies are. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go out looking for anything. Things happen to him. He's like, well, okay, I'm going to do this now. And then he's done and he moves on to something else. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to, it's a little out of place now, but I'll still make the comment, that he, when he quit the MFP and the argument with Fifi, he talks about how he's afraid of becoming someone like these outlaw bikies yeah terminal crazy yeah and that he's afraid that the only difference between he and them is the badge well and and he quit the mfp because he was trying to prevent that Mm -hmm. but that's exactly where he ended up anyways with or without the mfp it wouldn't have mattered he would have ended up like that anyways yeah being an active member of mfp would not have prevented vengeance yeah because i mean even even if goose and jesse and Sprague and none of them had any of the tragic things befall them that they did eventually something would happen eventually he would come up against a situation and it would tip his hand Almost. You know what I mean? Yes. I mean, when when you're in a world where you have so much to lose and and there are people out there like this gang, like the Toe Cutter, like the Knight Rider, and society is breaking down, the chances of those things overlapping, I'd say it's rather high. Yeah. So if it didn't happen now, I'm sure it would happen at some point. Mm. And he'd end up in the same boat. So I, I really want to talk more about Max. Um But before we really dive into him, I want to note that after the shot of the road, we kind of fade to black and we we have this really heavy percussion and horns music really punctuating the end of the movie. But as soon as the credits themselves start, it kind of switches over from that to the more softer 
you know, it, Jesse's theme. Yes. And I you stick with that for the whole loved that class. because it brought us back and reminded us what the purpose of all this was. Mm. The the last few scenes where you've seen Max do some horrific things and even things that we enjoyed seeing him do, we're reminded that it was all for Jesse. Mm-hmm. It was for all for the people that he loved. So I really appreciated that reminder over the closing credits. Yeah. Plus it really has a mellowing effect. Like we just had a really high stress situation with Max and Johnny by the Ute. Like that was incredibly confrontational and dramatic. And we ended all with a large explosion. Having the credits switch over to a bit of a softer tone in the soundtrack, it kind of helps you come back down from the drama of it all. Yes, it helps you return to the real world. Yeah. Sometimes you get so wrapped up in movies. I have to say, sometimes when you're analyzing it minute by minute, you get so wrapped up in the little details and it takes up so much of my brain space all the time that to to be brought back to center, to brought, be brought back to something soft and gentle and loving mm-hmm. at the end of it. Yeah, it like returns me to the real world. I like that implication because Jesse's theme is really the representation of the real world for Max. Yes, it's his home life. It's it's that's where he belongs. That's the center of his life. You know, most people they they go out into the world, they go to work, they do their thing and then they come home and it's the center of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what this song is for Max. Yeah. And it actually yeah. it's a little tragic because he'll never have that again. Like he'll never have another home. He'll never have another Jesse, he'll never have another Sprague. Nope. And it, it sounds a little cruel, but I kind of hope he never does. Because... That's not Max anymore. Exactly. Max is different now. He's been tempered and changed by the fires of the situations that surround him. Yes. We were talking on, as guests on another podcast, Prince's Bride Minute, and they asked us what we would like to see in a future Mad Max movie that may or may not happen. We hope so. Uh, And we're pretty open, but you made the point that you want to continue to see him in isolated situations, Mm -hmm. not as a continuation of another story, no repeat characters, that he is in another new strange place with new strange people, because that's what Max is now. Yeah, he is a lone wanderer in the wasteland and sure he meets interesting people and he stumbles into interesting situations and circumstances happen to him but at the end of the day he's just a wanderer Mm -hmm. all he cares about is staying on the move making sure that he keeps his resources supplied and if he can keeping his hands on his interceptor i was gonna ask about that i'm not as familiar um, with Road Warrior as you are, does he keep the black on black through the entirety of that movie and into Thunderdome? I would say he keeps the black on black about 80% of the movie. Okay. You'll you'll see. It's yes, him, we will see. <laughs> yeah, him taking his bounty and going on the move again has really bad consequences for him and he does end up losing things again. Okay. So we'll see that pretty far down the road okay. in Road Warrior. Like I said, we go like 80% of the way through the movie before that happens. Before that happens. Okay. Because yeah. I was thinking, we were talking about home and being the center of your life and how he has lost that. 
Now his home is the black on black. Yeah. One thing that you'll definitely see in Road Warrior, and one thing that I think is a pretty big part of Max's character, is that Max will be one way when he has things that he's used to, a family and friends or possessions or something like that. And when those are taken away from him, he changes into a different type of person. Okay. So... He makes decisions in a very different way when his things are taken away. Okay. So that's a lot of what this story of Mad Max was about, is that he is a very different person from when he has his things in order versus when they're taken away. Mm -hmm. And so we'll see that happen again in, in Road Warrior. Yeah. So okay, I, I like that continuing theme. That kind of dovetails us into a, one of the questions that I wrote down in my notes. One of the really analytical things now that we're at the end of the movie. And my question is kind of in three parts. With the first part being, so who is Max? And I continue to say, what kind of person was he at the beginning of the movie? And what kind of person is he at the end of the movie? So we can start with the really surface level stuff. Like, who is Max? Well, he's a cop he's a father he's a husband he's a friend like that's who he starts out the movie as he's a calm under pressure really skilled driver as far as being able to maneuver his car and intercept people and he's just really good at his job yes you know the the top shelf like that's who he is at the beginning and starting there you know where does he end up he ends up alone Yep, he's no longer a father, no longer a friend. He really doesn't have any friends to speak of. Nope, he cut all of his ties to people who he could either call friends or people he was friendly with. Yeah, because he quit his job at the MFP, so he's essentially cut ties with Fifi. Yes. Like, he didn't burn that bridge. It's not like they're rivals or enemies at this point. If Max wanted to go back to the MFP, I feel like Fifi would take him back, but Max has written off that chapter in his life, so he doesn't have a professional life to go back to. He's openly flaunted his own agenda in the face of the police to the point where they actually had dispatch calling over the radio telling the other officers to keep an eye out for Max to bring him in. Yeah. I was just thinking that in the scene after he has come home from the hospital, Jesse has died. He's sitting out on his thinking bench um, with his goofy mask. And around that time, there was potential to have Fifi show up Mm -hmm. and give his condolences, show his support. Is there anything I can do for you? When you're ready, you are welcome to come back. Things like that. In the real world, that would happen. Mm -hmm. When you lose somebody and you are taking your break and you are grieving, it is common for people to come visit you and show their support. Your boss, your teachers at school, things like that. So there was potential to have that type of scene, but no, there was no, there was nothing from the mfp there was no contact max was completely alone he had he had already cut ties he did not want to renew them even in his grief he didn't want anything to do with the mfp Mm -hmm. until it served his purposes and he needed a car right (laughs) so first and foremost max is a loner he has gone from a man who cares about others to a man who essentially only cares about himself because himself is the only person that's left Right. He has suffered because he cared about other people. Hmm. So he, you definitely get the sense at the end of the movie 
that he's done getting emotionally attached to people because look where that got him. And so now it's just him, stone-faced, road ahead, nothing left. Aside from him being a man alone, what else is Max at the end of the movie? I feel like he's dangerous Mm. now. Uh, One of the things that helped us feel like the gang toe cutter Bubba Zanetti and the lot one thing that helped us feel like they were dangerous is that we didn't know what they were going to do next I mean take the Chevy scene as an example like that kind of came out of nowhere I mean they're just in town goofing around not doing any real serious damage I mean they beat a guy up pretty good but they didn't kill him just some blood and some bruises and that was it they they certainly didn't kill him and then just on a dime, they turn, go after this car, pretty much for the heck of it. And it gets very graphic and very violent very quickly. So that unpredictability really reiterates their danger. Mm-hmm. And that's what we get from Max by the end of the movie. So we see the Chevy scene, I think, is kind of paralleled in the Ute scene with Johnny that we just saw. We know that Max is in a violent place. But he's, he's driving down the road, he's been driving all night, and then he happens upon this scene. And things have been quiet for a few minutes. It's been a few minutes since we've seen something violent happen. And then all of a sudden, it turns into a torture scene. Right. It seems very out of the blue. So you really get that sense that, and I think we even, I think we even kind of talked about it a little bit, where Max has come upon the scene, he's holding a gun to Johnny's head, and he sees the leaking gas line. And we kind of see it in his eyes. That he all of a sudden puts this whole scheme together in his head. He's like, ah ha ha, this is what I'm going to do. And this is how it's going to play out. And he just does it without without any preamble. He just does it. And it's kind of out of the blue. Mm-hmm. What really worries me most about Max's mindset at the end of the movie is how he's so able to shut out Johnny's wails of crying mercy yes. and trying to explain himself. Max has just mentally divorced himself of any sense of prior justice and due process. And he is at that point where he's willing to ignore someone begging for mercy so that they can be punished. And that he is the one, not the courts, not the system, not anyone, that he is the one that is going to punish them. But at the same time, I don't feel like he's driving off into the wasteland to continue to dispense justice. I kind of get the sense that now that the Acolytes are taken care of, he is done. Yes, I agree. And the fact that he is so capable of doing all of these things, combined with the fact that he has nothing left to lose and he's just living for himself, that, I think, most of all, is what really makes him dangerous. The fact that he is going to survive to spite the world and that, you know, heaven help anyone that gets in his way. Not that he's going to turn into any sort of desert warlord or anything like that, but he's just going to be, you know, the heavily armed, dangerous murder hobo. (laughs) Where if you get too close to him or try and mess with his rail car, so to speak, that, you know, he'll blow you away. I'm thinking again about what Max said to Fifi about worrying that he was going to become like them. Mm -hmm. And yes, we see that happening, which we've already commented on. But then on the other hand, when he's done doing what he set out to do, taking revenge upon the people who have 
taken the lives of his loved ones. He he's done with the vengeance lifestyle. Mm-hmm. He's just he he doesn't go back to his law abiding lifestyle that he had before. He kind of sits in this middle place where he's not out to get people. He's not out to hurt people, but he's out to protect himself. Yeah, he's not going out of his way to do violence. But if he needs to, he will do violence. And it's not quite the place that he was afraid that he was going to end up. Mm-hmm. So I've showed you Dungeons and Dragons alignment charts before, right? Yeah, like the whole like lawful good yeah. type stuff. Okay, yeah, I've seen those, yeah. I feel like at the end of this movie, Max is kind of true neutral. He's not especially good. He's not especially evil. He's not especially lawful or chaotic. That is a very good point. Like, if I had to take a bunch of these characters and kind of fill in the chart, I feel like Max at the end of this movie is right smack dab in the center. You could put Fifi up in the lawful good section because he's all about heroes and whatnot. Yeah. Upholding the law. I feel like Toe Cutter is down in the opposite corner with chaotic evil because he's all about spreading mayhem Mm -hmm. and just being a bad dude. Probably chaotic good would be Goose. Goose. Because he's got that fly-by-night, fancy-free way of doing things. Um, I would say Jesse would probably be lawful neutral. Like, she doesn't strike me as that whole lawful good because she doesn't really have much to do with that. I think she's definitely on that neutral plane alongside Mm -hmm. of Max. A true neutral, is that... It seems that that might be hard to come by. Mm. Is it a common alignment? I think a lot of people like to attribute themselves as true neutral because they want to have options. Yeah. But I think... But is that really what they are? No, not really. (laughs) Um, It it seems like a a really difficult thing to achieve. And I mean, look at all that Max has been through to get to that point. Yeah. To being a true neutral. Yeah, he's not... Evil to the point that he would victimize others, but he's also not good to the point where he would not seek vengeance. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like Bubba Zanetti would be kind of the lawful evil because he is very much into the hierarchy of the gang and keeping an eye on things and making sure everyone's serious. I feel like Johnny is more neutral evil. He's uh, not especially flimsy one way or the other because he can be crazy, but at the same time he can want to follow the rules. So I feel like he... That the three of them really fill out that bottom rung there. Yeah. It's interesting that our main three antagonists are all different. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes them work so well. Yeah, I think it gives us a dynamic Mm. set of people to work against. That's really interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that we hadn't that we hadn't talked about that alignment before. Yeah. I feel like as far as chaotic neutral Probably, hmm. So someone that's chaotic doesn't like rules. They like to play by their own. That kind of sounds like Roop to me. Yeah. I kind of wanted to throw Roop in that one. Chaotic neutral because he's not quite as, not quite a good a cup as the other ones. Right. And maybe Charlie is a, um. Like lawful neutral. Yeah. Like he wants to follow the rules, but he's not especially heroic. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That works out pretty well. You know, we pull a little bit of the side characters in to to fill out the chart, but I think that works pretty well. Yeah, it does. But yeah, I think at the end of the day, Max had a pretty good, well, I should say Max had a really well-defined story path going from point A to point B. And 
I don't really know much about the hero's journey, but I just, I don't feel like Max's story is a heroic one that you could fit into Joseph Campbell's little archetype there. No, maybe he plays more of a hero in, in uh, future movies, but I... I mean, I guess technically he is the hero of this story. But at the same time, he's so tragic. Yeah, he's not heroic. Like at the end of the day, Max's story is one of loss and pain and abandoning the ideals that he held, you know, in high esteem day in and day out. Which is very frightening because in everyday life, these types of things are going to happen to people. People lose their wives. People lose their husbands, their best friends, their children every day. Mm-hmm. So, and there are even plenty of people out there who lose all three, just like Max did. And we certainly can't have everybody who experiences loss handling it this way. Yeah. <laughs> Most people just have to handle it better. Yeah. George Miller, when he was talking about writing Mad Max, like this is the kind of story he wanted to tell. The idea of what would happen to a normal person if this horrific thing happened to them. And the way he wrote it, like his hero does not handle it, you know, for all intents and purposes, well. (laughs) You know, he lets it get, he lets it get to him and it throws his entire life all out of whack. And it just so happens to be happening alongside the whole world getting thrown out of whack, for sure. Yes. That's an interesting parallel that, and actually, we may have already drawn this at some point, between the the journey of watching Max's world fall apart paralleled with the journey of the actual world falling apart. Mm -hmm. By the time we get to the next movie, it's over. The world has fallen apart, and we are in post-apocalyptic. And and the same thing with Max. When we start the next movie, he is Mad Max. The journey getting there is over. This is just who he is now. Yeah, so. Just running real quick through... The credits that we see this minute, it's a lot of cast stuff. We get the main six on the first title card. We get roles in alphabetical order by actor name for two or three more tiles. And then we kind of wrap things up and continue on with the credits tomorrow. So we are going to come back and just... Keep talking about character stuff. I've got other questions that I have about other characters that I feel like are going to be pretty interesting conversation to listen to. So just because we're getting a little more analytical instead of looking at the movie proper, come on back. Stick with us for at least two more episodes, (laughs) and then you can peace out till Road Warrior. We'd love it if you could listen to our hiatus material, but, you know, (laughs) if you wanted to take a break from us, that's fine. We're taking a break, too. (laughs) But not till after Wednesday. So, in the meantime, our website is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. Like us on Facebook and join our listeners page, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute, episode 91. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the edge of the dream 